The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. What up, dude? <laughs> well, um, it seems that fall may may finally have arrived in hmm. New England. How did it get here first? first? What's that? How did it get here first? I don't know, because climate change. Okay. Down is up. Left is right. Cats like dogs now. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. I won't argue. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's fallish. So it's fallish now. I mean, it's not really, we're not really there, but we're not waking up to uh, humidity and heat anymore, uh, which is nice. I'll probably be rewarded for that New England style with like nine straight days of rain, but that's okay. You know, a change sometimes is good. <laughs> yeah uh speaking of which it actually rained here yesterday rain oh. in september in northern california it's like okay yeah down is up mm -hmm. sure yeah i read something about a weird weather pattern coming down from canada that might give you even more rain than you expected yeah yeah i mean those long-range forecasts here it's like mm, i'll believe it if i see it sure uh, but uh, yeah this made turn out not to be a totally terrible fall here um you know yeah. so if you could put away the worry of wildfires it'd be a good fall oh my gosh i would i would be so beyond grateful yes yeah yeah so what else new well um this weekend i'm running my first and possibly last ultra marathon uh <laughs> which is neither here nor there as far as our listeners who love bikes are concerned i only bring it up because i have been barraged by people close to me with questions about why i would do a thing like this well i mean count me among them yeah i mean okay Aside of explaining why I'm running a race instead of riding it, those questions bring up a lot of basic principles that I think we can all relate to if we love to ride or whatever, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is you like to do. So first, let me just address this running thing because <laughs> this is a cycling podcast. I've always been a runner of some sort. I ran cross country in high school. I've played soccer my whole life. I took up trail running a few years ago because it's uh, easier on the old joints than road running. And I fell in love with trail running. And then when I broke my collarbone last year, it became my primary thing for a while because the recovery from the fracture turned into kind of a saga. I was actually not able to ride a bike for six months or more. Um, yeah. And, you know, because when I do things, I tend to take them to their logical conclusion. I just kept piling on miles to see what would happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> and right. it, that's what not happened? unlike, yeah, what happened? It's not unlike when you're eight years old uh, and you push deeper and deeper into your neighborhood or farther and farther out into your town. Except in this case, the neighborhood is kind of like your own head and your own body, mm -hmm. and you're finding out what it can do and what happens when you ask it to do those things. Mm. And I think that, you know, gets us back to uh, riding pretty quickly because, uh, you know, most of the cyclists I know, I almost said serious cyclists, but I, I eschew that term. <laughs> A lot of the cyclists I know, you know, they've been down that road where they're like, well, what if I go farther? Mm -hmm. What if I go faster? What if I go more technical? What if I do these things? So we all, I think we all get what's going on here. But I was explaining, I was trying to explain this to my mother the other day. And she said to me, <clears throat> you know, you can't outrun death, John. 
which tells you a little <laughs> bit about how I was brought up, maybe, and on some level why I might still be rebelling against it. <laughs> so, so I said to her, I, I'm not going to outrun death, but I'm going to try to pack as much experience into the time I have left as I can. Mm-hmm. And that for me is really what doing big things, be it on foot or on the bike, is about. It's about finding out what's there, right? Mm-hmm. Really working your way out to the edges of life and seeing what's possible and mining that space for information about how to make, you know, every day more interesting or better in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that does that square with for, with you for you? I, I, I totally get it. Um, there came a point for me uh, 10-ish years ago, maybe not quite, maybe eight years ago, where I realized that continually trying to top myself was um, going to be uh, A, impossible, and B, lead to some bad outcomes inevitably. Um, right. And so I shifted that in a way that on paper sounds like uh, a distinction without a difference, but in real life has proven to be very helpful. I'm not trying to top myself anymore. I just want experiences that are valuable. It just needs to count, you know? Um, Needs to teach me something. uh, If I can learn something from it, yeah. Uh, but I've also found that that's increasingly difficult to chase. So, you know, I don't I don't think in terms of Maslow's peak experiences as often now, but I just want something that is enriching, fulfilling, you know, brings me peace or happiness or, you know, bliss. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's w- what I meant about um, teaching you something. I didn't mean that or I don't just mean that you can learn something at the edges. Mm-hmm. You know, you, we talked about this a little bit. Um, was it last week or the week before? The idea that you could just ride your bike to the woods and then sit on a log and, and watch birds for a while. That could teach you something and be enriching, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I said at the top that this uh, could very well be my last ultra marathon. I do think to some extent I've mined the area of running to the end of my abilities. Um, So, you know, like I'm good. I've learned that. I still like to run. I still love to ride bikes and I'm still going to do all those things. Probably I'll do big things in the future, too. Um, no one asks you really why you went to the woods and sat on a log for a while. They they kind of get intuitively that that's like a good, enriching thing to do. They struggle with understanding what's enriching about the big stuff. Mm-hmm. The really mm-hmm. hard parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> I get that. I get how some people don't get that. Uh, Mm. because I've been seeing people not get that for a very long time. Um, but you know, I look, I look at those experiences and, you know, it's been, you know, say five hours into a seven hour day. Um, and I'm probably 2000 calories shy of where I should be. That, that happens a lot with me. Um, But I mean, I have, I have sorted out really big questions for myself, um, deep in that, that hole of, you know, what the hell am I doing out here? Yeah. I, (laughs) when I was in college, I would go to, uh, isolation tanks. There was a place in Memphis that had isolation tanks. And, uh, like I sorted out what to do with, um, I was designing my own major, uh, as an undergraduate, uh, it was a crazy bridged major of English and psychology and mostly music. And I figured out, I figured out what to do while floating in an isolation tank. So Mm. I'm aware that there are ways that I can put the world at bay that really help me sort through things. Um, I, I don't know why it works that way. I've 
just learn to trust that it does. Yeah, I think, and I've talked about this before, like when my dad died and then when my brother died, you know, the endurance training that I've done allowed me to identify, oh, I'm in a very uncomfortable space right now. And what is going to work best is if I don't panic and I sit with this and I keep going Mm -hmm. and, and learning that lesson and reinforcing that lesson has been enormously helpful to me in, in all sorts of scenarios, um, scenarios where other people might panic, you know, during an injury or during a personal crisis or whatever. I just, because of, I think because I've learned at the end of my physical capabilities to say, okay, here I am, this is a tough spot, um, but this, you know, you're going to move forward and you just have to figure out how to do it. And having that sort of uh, experience, I think, has made those hard moments less hard for me by a long measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know of that many really reliable ways to work through that stuff. Uh, mm. But... I have learned that the bike and endurance sports in general are, you know, well, more reliable than an old Ford. <laughs> I think, I think of them as adversity training, right? <laughs> you, it's I don't manuf- because that wouldn't help me get out the door. I guess not. <laughs> Maybe I'm a glutton. Uh, I love, I love me some adversity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think it's a way to sort of simulate when real things really do go badly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting to be pushed to one's limit. It really yeah. is. Uh, yeah. I'll never forget turning to uh, a friend. Uh, final climb of one of the grasshoppers. Uh, a, a day that I memorialized. uh in on the nature of ambition. And I turned to him and I said, you know, nobody should let us plan a wedding. Our, our idea of a good time cannot be trusted. (laughs) I mean, you know, it was raining and like 45 degrees and gray. Yeah. 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 And we were stoked on a road that is bombed out with potholes, you know, windswept and we are stoked to be there. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's if somebody had walked up to me, like walked down off a hillside and said, what is wrong with you? I wouldn't have had an answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, all <laughs> yeah. the things. A friend of mine uh, texted me not that long ago and he was like, what are you up to today? Running up and down some godforsaken hill? <laughs> and I said, I said, no, I'm just chilling out in the backyard. I do love a godforsaken hill, though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, how many of us are there in the world who have decided that Sisyphus is our patron saint? <laughs> you know, this, it's like this cross-cultural blending. You know, sometimes it's maybe not such a good idea. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is actually, that's actually a great uh, point because one of the things I've learned in running very long distances and in riding very long distances, although to a lesser extent, because you can coast a lot on a bike, (laughs) is that um, there's a, there is, there genuinely is a time to quit and walk away and come again another day. And, you know, making space in my ego for quitting. Mm Mm-hmm you know, discretion being the better part of valor and like letting that be true and, and staying, keeping the ego right sized where you're like, uh, you know, instead of being like, I bled out my eyeballs, but I finished this amazing thing is to say, you know what? It wasn't happening that day. And I stepped away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then maybe your kids or your friends are like, Oh, you know, when, when stuff really does go pear shaped, (laughs) sometimes you should tap out. Like, that's an okay lesson to learn and to pass on. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny, though, because I was thinking about this recently. Why 
events like the grasshoppers appeal to me so much. And I realized that in doing a grasshopper, except in fairly extreme circumstances, there's really kind of no safety net. If you tap (laughs) out midway through a grasshopper, the next steps are roughly as unpleasant as just finishing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I tapped out on a very long, difficult run one time, and that meant walking to the end of a trail and then taking the road that cut off a, you know, it was like, I'm walking past um, park rangers and like trying to decide whether I should ask them to take me to the hospital or not, or not. You know what I mean? (laughs) So yeah, sometimes, I mean, and you make mistakes, you make mistakes Mm. at that end of the spectrum. uh, And you learn from those uh, maybe to quit earlier or, you know, prepare differently or whatever. I think, you know, it's all, it's all good. Don't die. Uh, Yeah. Roger that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. At a certain level, I'll say that some of that pursuit of those long, hard events is an investigation into whether or not I can make fewer mistakes this time. Absolutely. Have I learned things? Oh, I've learned the things. Right. I know what to do. But. Well, but can you apply it? You know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you're on a technical climb. It's steep as hell. Uh, You're having to pick your way up it. And you're also saying, you know, you should eat something. Eating right now would be a really good idea. Or even just a a swig off that bottle. You should do something to take care of yourself. You're going to need those calories. Yeah. And, um, you know, just finding the opportunity to go, okay, the world has calmed down enough that I can take care of myself. I'm, I'm no longer in a space where I'm just being vigilant about handling my bike. Yeah. And remember, this is a good time that I signed up for. <laughs> I, well, uh, two things on that. The first one is I have a thing when things get really hard. Uh, the people that I'm with, I say all the time, um, be king cheerful. I believed myself there, but I say it out loud. I said, hey, everybody, it's time to be cheerful, um, which is uh, how I keep myself in check. Uh, the other thing is I, I talked to a guy who did Paris Press Paris a couple times, and I said, you know, what do you what, what are the what did you learn? Like, what what is the <laughs> what's the secret? And he yeah. said um, he said, you know, it's pretty simple. Anytime you're struggling, you need to. Um, slow down or you need to eat something or you need to stop and take a nap. That's it. Those are the three solutions that are available to you. And so learning to identify which of the things that you need to do is really the secret to getting through. Um, You you will at some point make the mistake and neglect one of those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and your ability to recover is your ability to to boil, you know, just simplify things enough to find the solution and the way out. Well, uh, I guess we'll find out next week if you managed that or not, huh? I guess so. I'm, I guess, guess uh, so. we will. We will need an update. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. I'm I'll definitely give through. you an update. Okay. I'm trying to approach it the way I approach the long version of, of uh, D2R2, the Deerfield Dirt Road Randony that uh, happens in Western Mass. If you think about the distance and the amount of vertical and all of that stuff, you're really putting yourself in a bad mental place. So yep. what I prefer to think is I'm going to go ride bikes all day with my friends. Yes. And, And if it's the middle of the day and I'm very tired and things aren't going very well, like, of course they aren't because I haven't ridden all day yet. (laughs) There's only a problem if you've ridden all day and you're not back at the tent, you know, Um, but otherwise mm -hmm. you should just expect to be riding all day with your friends and whatever that means. Yep. 
So my plan is I'm going down to Atlanta and I'm going to run around in the woods all day with my friends, which when you cast it that way, seems like a really great way to spend the day. (laughs) Awesome. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on Support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What do you got for us this week, Patrick? Well, I've got another question. Um, this is this one is from a friend who I won't call out by name. Uh, I don't think she'd like that. <laughs> I've been writing an ongoing series for TCI called The Angle. It's all about bicycle frame geometry. And her question was simple enough. Why should I care? (laughs) Now, the first, we'll call it even the simplest answer, may surprise you all. No one needs to care. No, they don't. (laughs) You don't need to care. There is no requirement that any cyclist need know anything about their bike's geometry. You can ride bikes for decades and know nothing about how the bike works and still have a perfectly good time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's always a but, am I right? There is. That's correct. But if you are curious about why some bikes are good for some kinds of riding and not good for other kinds of riding, this series is for you. If you're in the market for a new bike and would like to begin to understand your last bike better and how another how another bike might be similar or different, this series is for you. If you want to better understand your options the next time you shop for a bike, this series would also be for you. So I've started at a pretty granular level talking about basics like head tube angle, bottom bracket drop, and fork rake. Um, And I think I do okay at making it interesting rather than dry as toast. Uh, But as I move along, I'll begin to relate those more and more to specific bike choices. Um, uh, Well, an A, for instance. Uh, Say your shop of choice is a specialized dealer. You're considering a new bike. But you're not sure if the Tarmac or a Roubaix would be the better bike for you. This series will give you the tools to better understand the differences between those two bikes. And there are, are definite reasons to pick one versus the other. Not that either bike is better than the other, but there are times when the Roubaix is the more appropriate choice, just as there are times when the Tarmac is the better choice. So... While I started out saying you don't need to care about bike geometry, what I'm really saying is that I think this is a fascinating subject and it becomes a really interesting way to think about what a bike can do or what a bike is meant to do. Uh, Now, John, I'm curious. I'm usually curious. Uh, (laughs) You worked at seven cycles for the best part of 10 years and because Everything Seven does is custom. You saw a lot of custom designs. And I'm curious how your views on geometry evolved during your time there. Are there any common designs out there that you'd steer clear of? Um, in short, no. There are no designs out there that I would steer clear of just as a out of the box don't do that what i would say and this gets back to your friend at the beginning why should i care you shouldn't care you don't need to care if you can ride the bike 
in advance of buying it and see how it fits and how it feels. And if those Mm. things work for you, um, then, you know, that's the bike for you. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Um, my views on geometry evolved an awful lot. I think I became, I came to be of the view that the industry was selling too many aggressive geometries to non-aggressive riders. Mm -hmm. There were too many overstretched, um, too many overstretched riders with bars too low, you know, with the, the wrong differential, which is difference between saddle height and bar height. Um, and so the people who were coming to us, and of course, this is a self-selecting audience because they are investing in a custom bike. But so many of them came to us with discomfort or injuries because they were putting them, they were, somebody put them on a bike that was wrong for them. Mm-hmm. And they just thought, okay, I have to adapt to this bike, not have the bike adapted to me. <laughs> right. Change the rider, not the bike. Yeah. yeah that'll work well. Yeah. Um, I, am, I, have a, I also have a friend who um, I helped buy a road bike last year. Mm-hmm. And I helped him buy a secondhand handmade bike. Um, Neat. And... As it turned out, the geometry of this bike um, was going to work for him well. Like I got his inseam, you know, I had done a fitting for him on his existing bike. So I kind of knew where he was heading geometrically. Mm-hmm. And this one just, I mean, he just got very lucky. So now, and he loves that bike. And so now he's trying to buy a gravel bike and he's shopping online and he's like, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking I might just buy that. I'm like, you should not do that. <laughs> <laughs> we found this sort of unicorn thing that worked for you out in the world, but you need to get on the bikes physically and ride them and feel, feel what they are. And I think the appeal of your series is that it help it can help people parse the difference between the same size mm-hmm. of two different bikes and understand what the ride characteristics might be, but also the little fit nuances, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a good example, uh, a level top tube bike is very trendy, right? Everyone loves the way a level top tube, and it's, none of them are level, but... You know what I mean? A a flat top tube. Uh, But so many riders would benefit from a more compact frame, both uh, (laughs) because they're lighter, uh, because they take less frame material, but also because it gives you better standover height and it gives you all sorts of things that you might need if you're shorter legged or whatever. So, you know, I think the, the what I noticed, what I learned in 10 years is that people don't know anything that the guidance they receive from the internet is very sketchy at best. Um, And also that when you explain things as you're doing with the angle, they're not that complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, the bike is not a complicated machine. Um, And so a little knowledge will take you a long way and really improve, can really improve either the next bike you purchase or the one you're riding now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I mean, I've been at this now, you know, actually writing about bicycles, uh, for mm, 29 years. My, Mm. my first couple pieces about cycling, which occurred 30 years ago, uh, were not actually so much about bikes, but in 1992, I wrote my first pieces about bicycles. Yeah. So I've been doing this a while and that I still find this interesting to do and that there are things that, you know, I explained one way back in 1995 and I've realized, Oh, there are better ways to explain that. Uh, that part is, is really exciting for me. Um, there's just, and also, you know, I've continued to learn more, uh, 
you know, the, what you can do in terms of, uh, changing someone's rate weight distribution on a bike. Um, you know, your point about people with too much, uh, differential between the saddle and the bar. Mm. I've seen a lot of people out on Madones and tarmacs and, you know, uh, other road racing bikes, uh, the quick, quickest handling of the bunch, but maybe they've had their 45th or 55th birthday and they're not as flexible anymore. And so they've got four centimeters of spacers under the stem and the stem is flipped up and there's not a lot of weight on the front wheel. And they talk about, Oh yeah, I get going down a descent and I'm terrified. (laughs) Right. Right. Because the bike is yeah, totally sketchy. It's like, well, you don't have enough weight on the front wheel. Right. But you know, there's so much to work through in order to get to the point where we can talk about those things um, in a way where everyone's dealing with uh, a common set of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I learned so much. I had, you know, I had been writing about bikes for 10 years before I went to seven and realized that those 10 years were I had completed kindergarten and I was about to get (laughs) elementary and high school. So I learned uh, an awful lot there and I spent an awful lot of time explaining geometry and material choice to people. Uh, And it, it was really rewarding. I think when you and you probably feel this when you do illuminate someone and when a person is buying a custom bike, they most of the time they want to understand. So when you when you do get them to that point, it's very rewarding because they you have then empowered them to make decisions. In our case, it was like, oh, okay, now I understand why you've designed it this way and I can green light that or. I I understand the open questions you have, and now I understand what answers I need to give you to build the right bike for me. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. People people would often say to me at the end of an hour long conversation, "Oh, you, I'm sorry, I took so much of your time." And I I always said and genuinely meant, "No, this is the good part of the job. We're talking about bikes." This is the like we're making a bike together, you know, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, we're not just pulling it off a rack. We're designing the damn thing. I mean, I, you know, my, I'm not I was not the bike designer, but I might talk them through some things or I might talk them through what their options were. But, you know, that's pretty exciting. Making a bike. Yeah. Well, anytime that that, you know, light goes on for somebody and, and suddenly they get something that they didn't previously. Yeah. I'll never forget. Tenish, tenish years ago, I was out on a ride, uh, one of the group rides in the South Bay, and a friend of mine said she was, you know, thinking about a new bike. It was time to. She had a pretty good road bike, but now she was doing all the fast group rides and was thinking, "Yeah, I'm going to get something good now. I'm going to get something light. I'm going to, you know." Um, and so she's talking about how she was thinking of going to. Uh, test ride one of the s-works tarmacs and i said well you know uh give the women's model which suddenly escapes me the there's the ruby and the women's model is the ruby and the i think the women's version of the tarmac was the amira that's it and i said give that bike a ride you know sure go ahead ride the tarmac but also take the amira out and she was like why well you know, that bikes is, is more specifically designed for women's proportions, you know, on a, on a very generalized basis, most women proportionally have longer legs and shorter torsos. This gets blown out of the water all the time. But if you were going to make a really broad generalization, that would be the one. And I said, also at a given height, most women will weigh less than a man. So the Amira has less actual carbon in it for say the 54, as opposed to the tarmac in a 54. So it's going to be, it's going to have a little more pleasant flex. It's not going to feel as harsh. Uh, and so it's, it is very much a different bike. And, uh, I saw her the next week and she was like, Oh my gosh, you were totally right. That Amira is a lovely. And that's exactly the bike that she bought. Um, so yeah, anytime you can help people, anytime 
I personally can help someone arrive at a better choice in bicycle for their use, I am so stoked. Uh, you know, I don't want to be in retail anymore. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I still like helping get helping people get pointed toward the best bike for them. Yeah, definitely. That'll never get old. No, no. And it, people come to me and they're like, they want help buying a hybrid. Great. Let's look at what's there. You know, like I don't, it doesn't need to be this, that, or the other. It's just like helping them understand what's going to make a difference and what isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. You know, I think that's one of the nice things about where you and I are in our lives and cycling lives is that we are very firmly uh, wedded to that idea that any bike is better than no bike. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I've come, I have come all the way around on that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny how that statement has come to mean more and more things as I've gotten older. (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm still learning. Hey, Alrighty. Well, what do you say? Paceline picks? Sure. I'm not sure you're ready for what I have for you this week. I rarely am, but don't (laughs) let that stop you. All right. Here's my pick for the week. Are you ready? Oats. Oats. (laughs) (laughs) I have oats for us this week. Overnight oats, to be specific, which is my... I I understand that I heard that right when you laughed. (laughs) <laughs> when you said oats, I wasn't sure I heard you right. And then you laughed. And I realized, oh, no, he, he said, oats. OK, oh, no, he's going to talk about oats. <laughs> I can't criticize you because I I had oats this morning. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> oats are my preferred fuel for um, what my friend Phil, uh, author of Midlife Cyclist, calls immoderate exercise. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Immoderate exercise. Um so I'm, I'm, maybe you relate. I'm someone who struggles to eat first thing in the morning. No, not a problem no, of mine. Nope. Not a problem. So for me, I, I just like, I can drink coffee basically while still in bed, but I, I have trouble eating. But if you don't eat before you go do a thing, you know, you're cruising for a bruising, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, you're, you're going to mm-hmm. be in trouble. So I've taken to eating these overnight oats, which go down easy. Uh, they taste good and they pack both long burning and short burning fuel. So, you know, it's like an even energy source. Um, my recipe, and these are all over the internet, so don't trust me, but I take a half a cup of oats and I drop them in a mason jar. I add a half a cup of milk, you know, you pick, I get cashew or oat. I don't know why I do that. Um, but that's what I do. I add a tablespoon of chia seeds, which turn out to be more important than you think texturally. Uh, they add this creaminess. Like I thought they would be gritty, uh, but no, they kind of take in the moisture and they're almost like tapioca pearls in in bubble tea. Huh. Um, then I hit that with a tablespoon of yogurt and a splash of maple syrup. Put the top on the jar, give it a shake, and I just tuck it away for morning. If you don't want it cold, just leave it out. It's going to be fine. Um, You can heat it if you want, if that's your thing. I eat mine cold, usually. Um, The yogurt and the chia seeds together make it very creamy, and it's a little sweet, obviously, from uh, depending on what yogurt you use and, and and from maple syrup. I add, sometimes I have like, I have frozen fruit the kids use for smoothies. I'll put Mm -hmm. some blueberries in there. It does not clash with the maple syrup, Um, apple, cinnamon, whatever. You know, all the oatmeal things. But for me, it's a much better choice than toast with whatever you put on toast. And it's a pretty gentle thing on the system. I think we both agree it's good to eat real food when you can. And before you get on the bike, you definitely can. Don't go pedaling around with a mason jar and a spoon. Or do if you've got that skill. I mean, I'm not here to judge you. <laughs> I I can ride no hands, but I don't often try to eat anything very complicated. I, I've definitely right. never tried to eat something that required a utensil while riding no hands there. Right. And holding a, a glass container. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no ill-advised moves there. Right. Um, 
Yeah. What do you eat before you ride? Well, so often because I'm getting on the bike within that, you know, half hour or length of a sitcom uh, span of time from, you know, when I get up to when I'm hitting the door. Yeah. Very often I eat a cliff bar. Oh, it's that's uh, like uh, overnight oats in a agave suspension or whatever it is they use to stick those together. Maybe. Maybe. Um, I've found that when I try to do anything heavier than a second cliff bar um, within the half hour that I'm about to start pedaling. Yeah. That causes me problems. Stomach cramping. Oh. And, you know, I know that the proper answer is, well, get up earlier and, you know, uh, eat further out from when you ride. That's just not always realistic for me. I have a friend who has constant stomach problems during exertion, and someone told her, you eat a peppermint Tums half an hour before you leave, and then you can eat anything you want. And she swears that this is an effective prophylactic. Apparently, the peppermint is specific and purposeful. They make an extra strength version that comes in peppermint. I only know this because this past weekend I may have consumed uh, more alcohol and sugar than was really advisable one mm. evening. Mm. And so the next day when I was in the store looking for some Tums, I noticed that they had an extra strength version and it was uh, it was only available in peppermint. And I really, my stomach right then was not in the mood for peppermint. Oh. So I now understand why the stipulation. I'm curious about the type of person who sees regular strength and extra strength and chooses regular. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. (laughs) They just have a mindset I don't. If I look at two things and one is like maximum strength, I'm like, well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's correct. I I get you. uh, And I can't argue with you. Um, But I was like, hmm, peppermint. No, I'll just eat two of the regular strength in fruit flavor. Thank you. Oh, fruit flavor. Interesting. Yeah, yeah they were assorted tropical flavors. Just when I think I know you. I, I even surprise myself at times. Curveball Brady, they call it. Fruit, <laughs> fruit flavored antacids. All right. <laughs> what, what can I say? Well, on that note, what, what's your pick for the week? I can't wait to find out. <laughs> Allied Cycle Works in Bentonville, Arkansas, is my pick this week. More specifically, because that's a little broad, my choice is their new gravel bike, the Echo. Um, I've just taken possession of one, and I'll be reviewing it this winter. Um, The Echo got my attention for a couple of reasons. Um, uh, The reason I have it, in part, is because my previous Allied All-Road uh, developed a warranty problem. The uh, the rivets for the front derailleur hanger uh, started to fail. And so the front derailleur was wiggling on the frame. And they said, you know hmm. what? We're going to just do a, uh, we're going to do a do-over. And I said, well, yeah. we, can we do the do-over with the Echo? And uh, when I went to grab the link for this today, they have discontinued the all-road because the Echo is a superior bike in all the ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Here's the the first thing that will kind of grab your attention about the Echo. The dropouts on the bike can be popped out of the frame and the fork and then reversed. So think of an oval, um, you know, a piece of metal in the shape of an oval with a hole at one end. In one position, the dropouts leave room for big tires. And in the other position, it shortens the wheelbase slightly Um, and decreases tire clearance. Um, And so the bike becomes more responsive in its handling. Uh, I got to say, this is, to me, a genius idea, if ever there was one. And it really speaks to a common behavior I see, which is people buying a gravel bike and then purchasing a second set of wheels to run road tires. Mm. Um, You know, it's it was a strategy that three, four years ago, 
uh, friends of mine pursuing because they wanted a road bike with disc brakes, but they couldn't justify selling their existing road bike. And they're like, well, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a gravel bike. <laughs> and then like, well, I need a spare set of wheels. You always have to have a second set of wheels, you know, right, sweetie. Um, the perverse and, logic of N plus one, we should do a whole show on the perverse logic of N plus one. Well, maybe that's next week. could be. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, you know, this really speaks to, uh, I mean, in a way, the justification is sort of an N minus one or, or maybe <laughs> Except a, we know it never works that way. <laughs> but you can mount the argument to the yes, unsuspecting. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, another notable feature about the Echo is that it features internal routing for the brake hoses. Uh, and, you know, if you have wires for DI2 or something, um, those as well. Uh, the Echo uses a uses a special stem that sends uh it takes the hoses and wires yep. out of the bar and then sends them through the stem down the steer yep. and then they exit from a port in the back of the steer um inside the head tube at what is a very low stress location mm-hmm. um one of the other things i really like about it and this isn't so much an argument for why you should buy something but it does speak to their expertise. This bike is so incredibly clean on the inside that yeah. it ranks in that upper echelon of the very best bikes I've ever seen. Um, the only other bike I can like, you know, put it up against is uh, the work coming out of factor. Um, factor is the factory that used to produce Cervelo and a whole bunch of other really right. high end road bikes. Um, it's, you know, the precision of the molded surfaces and the lack of flash and other signs of sloppy layup work just impresses the hell out of me. Sure. You can clear flash away, but you can also see where, you know, down inside the frame, they're only going to stick the tube, the tools so far down in there to clean stuff up. This thing is clean in a way that you just don't often see. Um, you know, and it's funny because like the first time I got a look inside of an allied circa 2016, I want to say, uh, I was really impressed. Um, but I can tell you their crew has gotten better at what they do in the intervening years. I seriously would not hesitate to put this up against anything that's being produced by Cervelo or specialized or Trek. Um, and I suspect that, you know, if we stripped paint off of all of those, the Allied would be judged to be the better made bicycle. I'm impressed as hell. Um, although I, having said that, I'm now exceedingly <laughs> daunted by how difficult this build will be. Right. Getting the hoses down through, you know, getting the hoses out the barn through the stem, that's not going to be all that much fun. But then getting everything through the fork and into the frame... Oh my gosh. Uh, it's, I, I've got quite a task ahead of me. Yeah. The new bikes all look very clean and they're all, you know, with all their internal everything. Um, but your mechanic hates you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's something I've, I've, you know, mentioned, uh, previously here to listeners and I've mentioned on TCI for readers is that, you know, when you buy a bike that is super clean looking with, you know, no cables or hoses exposed, every time you go in for service, it's going to be more expensive to get that bike worked on than previous bikes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's right. It's. I, I don't see it as an arms race, but it's one of the things that has happened. Yeah. And I, I imagine that um, the solutions around uh wire and and uh hose routing will also evolve right yeah Yeah. right now we're just jamming things in there and saying oh look how great this bike looks (laughs) um and they do they look great but there is a there is a there's a reality there as long as your bike doesn't uh break down in some way you're in good shape but otherwise yeah, it's a tough one. And it's just specifically tough for the home mechanic, I think. Yeah, it's making that harder and harder to be possible. 
Uh, yeah. The number of like extraordinarily, extraordinarily specialized tools I have now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not my favorite. Um, all righty. So where is your big race this weekend? It's at um, Sweetwater Creek State Park, which is just west of Atlanta. Oh, yeah. I'll be flying down south, staying with some staying with a friend from high school who lives oh, in Atlanta. Uh, I'm flying down Saturday, racing Sunday, flying back Monday in whatever oh. crippled state I returned. Luckily, it's a pretty short flight. Um, <laughs> and maybe they'll give me a wheelchair at the airport. We'll see. We'll see what happens. OK. All right. Yeah. Um, wow. I promise to bring a story back if nothing else. Uh, well, I, I think the story will come back whether you promise or not. Yeah. Might maybe in the form of an epitaph, but what, what, <laughs> what do you got going on? I'm heading back to Memphis. Uh, actually by the time everyone hears this, I'll already be there. Um, yeah. So going to visit my mom, going to visit some other folks, uh, going to do some bike rides, trying to decide if I'm going to bring my stand-up paddleboard as well. It's inflatable. Yeah. Sure. Um, there's a fun little lake to paddle around on, but I'm trying to decide just how much I want to take with me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, this is a wrap on another episode of the pace line. <laughs> Before we go, I do want to let you know about a new podcast that John is producing along with Steve Knievel of all hail the black marker. It's called Revolting. All hail the black market. (laughs) (laughs) I still like those stickers. Yeah. (laughs) The black marker. Love it. Yeah. All hail the Sharpie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's revolting, um, but it is certainly not a podcast of the cycling variety in any um, previously identifiable sense. but I can say it's a good listen. Uh, it goes interesting places. Um, and, uh, yeah, working on those, uh, other new podcasts, still not ready to make an announcement. Um, but I lined up an interview for one of them that I'm very excited about. Oh, good. Yeah. Keep those questions coming. Uh, even if you need to make, uh, make yourself anonymous, uh, in them, (laughs) uh, You send great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.